morning, uh, let's begin with uh, a series of what if questions. What if? Suppose a team of people from Channel 7 Sunrise uh, pull up out the front of your house and out of the van comes a TV camera crew and a person dressed in a cow costume and a man with a microphone. If the man with the microphone said, I've got some good news for you, do you mind if I come in? Would you let him in? No? Okay, even if he had $10,000 cash to give you. <laughs> or suppose the doorbell rings and when you answer the door, there standing is the Prime Minister of Australia. <laughs> Would you let him in? <laughs> I knew that it gets like If Keith Urban showed up at your front door, what would you do? Yes. Keith Urban, no? For Hugh Jackman, what about Hugh Jackman? If he came to for a visit, what would you do? Let him in? What if you opened the door and you found Jesus Christ wanting to come in and spend some time with you? Would you let him in? Because this is not so far-fetched as it seems. In fact, that's what happened one day uh, with two sisters who lived in a little tiny village not too far from Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 10, it tells us how they responded to the unexpected visit from the Son of God. One point needs to be made at the beginning. Both Martha and Mary evidently knew who Jesus was and were glad to welcome him into their home. It was obvious that they were thrilled to have such a visitor, even though uh, he caught them completely by surprise. They both loved him and were thrilled to have him stay with them. And as we study this gospel snapshot, it soon is clear that the two sisters were quite different in their temperament. They were, the, the, the ways they made Jesus feel at home could not have been more different. It helps to know that this incident takes place towards the end of Jesus' ministry, perhaps about six months before his crucifixion. And so by this time, his ministry was hardened, by, uh, was hardened into open hostility. There was open hostility around Jesus. And Martha and Mary, along with their brother Lazarus, who isn't mentioned in this story, but they lived in this little village called Bethany a village located on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus was now turning his face towards Jerusalem and making the final tour of the various towns and villages. And so Jesus really, really, sorry, spent the night in a home. He didn't own a home. He depended on entirely the uh, kindness of his followers for all of his physical needs. Matthew 8.20 says, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So even something as simple as a home-cooked meal was a real treat for Jesus. Now in the first century, hospitality meant something more than what it means today. To most of us, hospitality means inviting some friends over or going out somewhere. But in Jesus' day, the safest place to stay was in the home of a friend. And that's why it was considered culturally important to welcome strangers into your home and to offer, offer them food and, if necessary, a place overnight. 
In later years, this practice of hospitality became a key factor in the spread of the gospel as itinerant evangelists carrying the good news into distant corners of the Roman Empire were shown such hospitality by Christian believers. So we know that Mary and Martha were both loyal disciples. They loved Jesus and wanted to show him a proper welcome. It was safe and a welcome haven for the, the, from the storm clouds of controversy that were gathering around Jesus. So, however, there's nothing particularly difficult about this text. The words are straightforward. And there are no unusual theological problems. Jesus comes to the home. Martha reacts one way. Mary reacts another. And Jesus comments on the difference. That's probably about all there is in this story. Yet this simple story has confused and sometimes frustrated people, perhaps because of its simplicity. The urge to take sides is almost irresistible in this story, isn't it? Which sister is right? Was Martha justified in what she said? Should Mary have done more than just sit at Jesus' feet? And behind those questions this morning are deeper issues involving personal identity, individual preferences, generosity, and what it means to truly give, thanksgiving, and how we can best serve the Lord. So let's have a look at our first thought. Luke 10, 38 and 40. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations and that, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. If she is demanding, she is demanding nothing other than that she does not uh, also demand of herself. So Martha's making a demand, but she's also making that same demand of herself. She is also a little quick-tempered. In short, she's the classic A-type personality, gifted, driven, demanding, and capable of accomplishing great, a great deal. Before we go any further, I want to say this one thing in Martha's defense. Regardless of what else we may think, it is clear that she loves the Lord and uh, does what she does out of love and out of thanksgiving, not out of obligation. Her motives are pure, even if her attitude's not quite right. And so it probably happened this way. As Jesus comes to their home, Martha goes to the kitchen and begins to prepare a meal while Mary, Mary sits in the lounge room listening to Jesus speak. I think we can presume that his disciples were there with him as well. And perhaps other neighbours had popped in also. And Martha immediately begins to put together a meal for her of her favourite recipes. She has a servant's heart and does not begrudge the time and the effort. In her mind, it's a gift of love to Jesus. And so preparing a big meal is a big job. It requires time and effort and commitment because meals don't cook themselves, do they? Not everyone can sit in the living room and listen to the guest of honour. Someone has to be in the kitchen or everyone's going to starve, aren't they? Thoughts such as those begin to go through Martha's mind. I think women understand this better than most men do. 
let me let me speak it for most men, okay? I I've never made a big meal. The mysteries of the kitchen are simply that. They are mysteries. And at this point, that that the truth, the, the true difference between Martha and Mary comes into focus. Martha felt responsible to ensure that the meal was properly prepared and served. For whatever reason, Mary did not join her in the kitchen. She chose to sit at Jesus' feet and posture. And the attitude that eventually got under that attitude eventually got under Martha's skin. This often happens to us. We think we're involved in a partnership where the other person will bear his or her fair share of the load. But then we discover that evidently the other person wasn't thinking that way at all. And we're left to do all the work. Or you thought that you were part of a team, only to learn that you were only that only to learn that not only were you the captain, but you were the team as well. You were the whole team. And in those circumstances, it's not unusual to resent others for failing to help out. And it's not unusual to vent our anger on those we feel have let us down. When verse 40 says that Martha came to him, all English translations obscure the force of the original Greek in that phrase. The original Greek actually says Martha exploded out of the kitchen. That's what it says in the Greek. We say Martha came to him. But really, it's, it's, uh, it's Martha exploded out of the kitchen. Who's ever done that? <laughs> Giselle put both hands up. <laughs> so, when she couldn't take it anymore, she marched straight out of the kitchen to Jesus, probably with a rolling pin in one hand and a bowl of green beans in the other, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work? Tell her to help me. It's hard not to smile when you read those words because all of us have been there at one time or another and we've all said something similar when we've felt left down, when we've felt abandoned by those we thought were going to help us. The phrase, don't you care, deserves also special notice. Sometimes words mean something different than their literal meaning, don't they? Married men will understand this. If someone says, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what they're really saying is, I'm going to interrupt you. If they say, I didn't mean to contradict you, that's exactly what they intended to do, isn't it? If they said, I'm not saying you're an idiot, <laughs> that's exactly what they're calling you. When Martha says, Lord, don't you care... What do you think she really means? Don't, Lord, don't you care at all? Because if you did, you would have told Mary to go to the kitchen and help me. Doctors sometimes talk about the presenting problem. The presenting problem. Which refers to the problem the patient brings into the examination room. The patient may complain of a sore throat or a runny nose or an aching back. But it's the doctor's job to look beneath those symptoms to discover the real cause. Martha's presenting problem is very clear. Jesus doesn't care, and the others, and, and the other thing is, Mary won't help. 
That's the presenting, that's underneath the presenting problem. Jesus doesn't care and Mary won't help. And she is both and at the same time criticizing Jesus and blaming her sister. So underneath all this are her real problems this morning. There's unrealistic expectations, there's misplaced priorities, there's a lack of gratitude, and there's misdirected anger. To say it another way, Martha's problem is that she doesn't think she has a problem. She thinks everyone else has a problem. Have you ever met anyone like that? Do you know someone like that? Do you live with someone like that? Don't point. As long as Martha could blame someone else, she didn't have to face her own heart. She is busy, not blessed. She is engaged, but not grateful. Jesus has come to her home, but she is so stressed out that the joy has been replaced by frustration and anger. And oddly enough, her desire to serve Jesus actually pulls her away from time with Jesus. Most of us would sympathise with Martha. Here are 13 hungry men and possibly a few neighbours who have scammed their way into the lounge room who have dropped by for dinner. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of work to be done. The food must be cooked, prepared, arranged, served and everything must be cleaned up afterwards. At a minimum, this involves several hours of hard work and every person, man or woman, who's ever ventured to prepare a meal like this knows one irrefutable truth. Food doesn't cook itself. Someone has to watch the roast. Someone has to mash the potatoes. Viewed from one perspective, Martha, just, Martha is just being a responsible host. Now, in his book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty, Tim Hansel was, has a wonderful phrase for the Marthas of this world. In chapter 1 of his book, he calls them the weary servants of the impossible because they feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. They attempt to do, all, they, they attempt to, to do it all, even if no one will join them. Okay, so let's move on to thought number 2 and pick up verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Evidently, Mary never said a word when her sister confronted Jesus. And that's probably a good idea. There's nothing she could have said to satisfy Martha. Mary only appears three times in the Gospels. Luke chapter 10, John 11, and John 12. In all these places, she's always in the same place, at the feet of Jesus. We never see her anywhere else. In our text, she is at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus' words. Consider what that means. Sitting, quietness, at the Lord's feet, closeness, listening, attention, to his word, submission. These four words really reveal Mary's heart. Quietness, closeness, attention and submission. She is utterly devoted to the Lord and wants nothing more than to hear him, to listen. To hear, to, listening this morning is, is hard work. 
It's not easy to sit in a classroom or in a church meeting and listen carefully for 20, 30 or 40 minutes. Sooner or later, the mind tends to drift off and the potty starts to call, doesn't it? Or we get thirsty and we have to move around. It's a rare compliment to say to someone that he or she is a good listener. Many of us listen only as long as we need to. We only listen to figure out what we're going to say next when our turn comes to talk. Some of us don't even wait to do that, do we? No. <laughs> many of us are... Tr many of our, uh, uh, Mary this morning was a, 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 a truly good listener. Did Mary know about Martha's frustration? Perhaps. Certainly she knew her sister well and was uh, not totally surprised when she burst out of the kitchen into the lounge room. But her desire in this text was to be, uh, her desire to be with Jesus far outweighed her desire that she felt to help her sister. On this special occasion, or this special day, she would choose to listen to every word that Jesus spoke. And there's two interesting questions. Who is serving the Lord? Martha or Mary? Mary. Thank you, Rain. The answer is both are serving the Lord. Martha is serving him a prepared meal and Mary is serving him by listening to him carefully at his feet. But who is in a better place at this moment? And I think Ray just answered the question, it's Mary. Mary's in the better place. She is able to hear her master and is ready to respond at a moment's notice. Martha is so distracted that she, has, she can't hear anything that Jesus is saying. So how simple it is to sit at Jesus' feet. Even a child can do it. A mother can do it. A father can do it. A single adult can do it. A married person can do it. A teenager can do it. Anyone with a heart for Jesus can sit at his feet. If you can sing, if you sorry, if you can't sing or if you can't preach or if you can't speak or teach, you can sit at Jesus' feet. If you don't have money or the abundance of outward talents, you can still sit at Jesus' feet. Anyone who wants to can do this anytime and anywhere. Our third thought comes from verses 41 to 42. Martha, Martha, Jesus, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And, will not, and that will not be taken away from her. How tenderly Jesus speaks to this frustrated servant. He says, Martha, Martha. He knows her name and he repeats it twice to assure her of his love. He knows how she feels and understands her frustration. Even in Jesus' words of criticism, there's a warmth and there's a compassion in what he's saying. Now back in verse 40, we are told that Martha was distracted with many preparations that had to be made. The original Greek word used means a mind pulled in a thousand directions. That's the original Greek word for distracted. A mind pulled in a thousand directions. One moment she's worried about the roast, the next she's worried about the rolls, the next she's worried about the dessert, and the next she's wondering why Mary doesn't come to help her. Jesus told her she was worried. Jesus, Jesus, told, Jesus told her she was worried and upset, and the word worried 
has the idea of this mind that's in pieces. And the word upset means to cause trouble. So she's going to speak her mind and she's going to spread the worry and misery around. Verse 40 also says she, has, she was burdened with all the preparations that had to be made. And the Greek word that's used, and it's very common, and it often means, for preparations, it means that serving at a table. And we get the word deacon from that Greek word. Now, that's a crucial insight because her massive preparations were part of her service to the Lord. Who's, who's, who, who, yet those very preparations had become a snare to her soul. So note the contrast between many things and one thing. And here's the heart of the problem. Martha was so pulled in every direction that she forgot the very reason of it all. And that was Jesus had come to her home that day. The many things had overwhelmed the one thing that really mattered. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon comments, he says, that the little word but is a very useful pause for all of us very busy Christians. There are many good things that occupy us and they can squeeze out the one thing that ought to be at the centre of our lives. Jesus said something like this, Martha, you are so busy serving me that you have no time for me to serve you. I appreciate your love and I recognise that your motives are good but your heart is divided and distracted. Your zeal to serve me has pushed me to the edge of your heart. Martha, I want to be at the centre of everything that you are. That is far more important than preparing a fancy meal in my honour. So how did it happen that Mary was in the better place? Well, the answer is she chose it. Given the same opportunity that Martha had, she chose to go into the living room and to sit at Jesus' feet. It did not happen by chance. It never does. You will never end up at Jesus' feet by accident. You must choose to go there or it will never happen. So Mary didn't know when or if Jesus would ever come to her home again or even return to her town. And she wanted to spend time with him while he was there. She knew there would always be another meal to prepare. But she might never have another chance to be with Jesus. And that's why she was willing to leave things undone, if necessary, in order to be with Jesus. She chose the important over the urgent. The better over the good. And that is why the Lord commended her. This passage is not about cooking versus praying. It's about the divided life versus the focused life. So let me suggest what this means in a practical sense. There will be always plenty of work to do. The work set before us will never totally be done. We will work all our days and when we die... The work will continue after we've gone. We're right to work and work hard doing what God has given us to do. 
But work is not an end to itself, not even work for the Lord. Good work, righteous work, even holy work, even preparing a meal for Jesus can become a distraction if we are not centred on the Lord. So knowing Jesus must come before serving Jesus, or else our service will be barren and our heart will be frustrated. Something eternal is cooking in this home in Bethany, but it's not being cooked in the kitchen. It's not happening in the kitchen. Martha's meal will soon be consumed and forgotten, but the meal Jesus is serving in the lounge room will last forever. So, as we supposed, are we supposed to choose between Martha and Mary in this story? I don't think so. I don't think that's the right answer. We're not supposed to choose. Both have their strengths. Both have their weaknesses. If we were on a sinking ship with Mary, she'd say, I'd pray. I'll pray. But Martha would find the lifeboats, wouldn't she? Martha would put, but both are necessary. Both are necessary, but knowing comes before serving. I love the final phrase of the text as we close, where Jesus declares that Mary will, has gained, um, has gained, will not, what Mary has gained will not be taken from her. What she gained, she would never forget, and she would have it forever. What she sowed as a seed will be accounted into eternity. Galatians 6, 8 says, Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Meals come and go, but time with Jesus is yours forever. An investment into the things of God is yours forever. I'm sure Mary never forgot the wonderful day when she sat at Jesus' feet, drinking in every word he said. In the end, this story is about the danger of distraction while doing good things. The one thing we, must, we need most is to sit at Jesus' feet. It will not happen by accident, and others will not always understand, including sometimes our loved ones. But what about the meal? Someone has to go to the kitchen, right? Someone has to go to the kitchen. We can't all be dreamy-eyed mystics like Mary, and that's very true. But Martha could have set aside the meal. She could have prepared something very simple. Or she could have rejoiced with her sister. Uh, she could have rejoiced that her sister had such a wonderful time at the feet of Jesus. And that she had the privilege of preparing a meal for the Son of God. So here's the big idea. Martha wanted Mary to be like her. Jesus did not agree with that. But he also did not let Martha be like Mary. He didn't tell Martha to be like Mary. We simply celebrate Mary for choosing the better time, the better portion of that day. Martha would always be Martha. She, she couldn't uh, and shouldn't uh, be anything else. But the attitude that she had under pressure was wrong. And that's what we need to point out. The, 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 the attitude that Martha had under pressure was wrong. And that's what Jesus confronted. One thing is needful, to sit at Jesus' feet. Now, how happy we will be if we find a way and a time to do that. We must not let the good outcrowd the best. No amount of service to Jesus can substitute for the value of spending time 
at his feet. It is, it, it is right to serve the Lord, but first we must listen to him. The world says, don't just sit there, do something. And Jesus says, if you're worried and distracted, don't just do something, take time to sit at my feet. There's a strong and clear gospel message in this story. We're not saved by doing, not even by doing good. Not even by doing righteous service done in Jesus' name. We're not saved by doing, but by not doing. We're not saved by provision. We're saved by receiving. Let's pray together. Like Martha, who welcomed Jesus into her home, we are worried and distracted by many things. Hear those worries, Father, and take them as our prayer. We praise you for the way you love us, a way that calls us to sit and to listen, as well as to go and to serve. Remind us that we are not, we have not been left to do the work by ourselves. For you are always with us along the way. We thank you in the good name of Jesus. Amen.